our study in the Gospel of John. And we're going to pick it up today at verse 18, talking about our relationship to the world. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. I'd like to read part of this this morning. Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Shall we pray? Father, as we think about our relationship with the world and we hear these words of Jesus, we know it could be very different for us. We've enjoyed tremendous freedom to worship, to pray, to share our faith in this country. And that really is a gift and a blessing from you. But there are many of our brothers and sisters today who live in countries where it is a very fearful thing to meet. Where they live with persecution. They live in a country where believers are not welcome. And they are intimidated or cast aside or shunned. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters today and we remember them. And we pray that you would empower them and use them to be a savoring influence in the countries where you have placed them. And may you use us as a savoring influence here as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the encouraging signs that I see in the church today, especially among the next generation is the desire of so many students and young adults to want to make a difference in their world for Jesus Christ. And they want to do it in very practical ways. You hear young people today who are concerned about social justice. They're concerned about the needs of the poor and homeless, and they want to help, and they want to build homes or do what they can to make a difference in their lives. There are young adults who are concerned about racial reconciliation and tearing down the walls that divide us. They're concerned about the growing number of orphans today in places like Africa as a result of AIDS. They're concerned about the genocide that's going on in the Sudan. 
and they're concerned about our environment and the impact we are having on our world physically. And in all of those areas, they look for things that they can do to be involved in a very hands-on way, and I commend that. I think it's great, and I think that's one of the healthy signs that we see as God continues to work in each generation. Because each generation really has to figure out what is it that we need to do to reach our generation for Jesus Christ. What is the mission that He has given to us in terms of bringing the Gospel to the ends of the earth and then doing that in the most effective way that we can? Those who are involved in that kind of uh, effort need to be commended and encouraged and supported by all of us. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our relationship to the world. And I want us to think about two questions as we do that. Number one, what should we expect in our relationship with the world? As we go and as we are engaged in our society, what should we expect in terms of their response and how this is going to go? And then secondly, and more importantly, what does God expect of us in our relationship with the world? What is it that He wants us to do? And how do we do that? I'd like us to think about these things as Jesus spoke to His disciples in that upper room discourse. I believe that there are three different ways that God wants us to have an impact on our world. The first is through a ministry of presence. A ministry of presence. The Christian's relationship with the world will not be easy. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And the world that he was referring to is this whole world system that's dominated by Satan and his values. It's a world of unbelievers who either may be indifferent to Christians and to the gospel, or they may be hostile to God and to his people. And Jesus again says, don't be surprised at that when you go into the world if the world hates you because it hated me first. And there are three reasons that the world is hostile to Christians. One of those reasons is the fact that we are different. We don't belong to the world. We belong to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you know, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But you don't. We've made a commitment to Jesus Christ and we have chosen to live differently. We live by His values and His teaching. And the world hates all who don't conform to its lifestyle. And it can lead to persecution as well. This week I was listening to KTIS radio when Don Rupp came on and he had one of those little moments from the news that he picks up on and he talks about. And he made this comment about the change that's taken place in Cuba now with Fidel Castro stepping aside and his power and authority in a sense being transferred now to his brother. We were hoping for greater change and greater freedom, but it seems to be slow in coming in that nation. And Don Rupp made this comment about Fidel Castro. When he observed what happened years back when the Berlin Wall collapsed, and all of a sudden now Eastern Europe was open and the old Soviet regime was declining. He was especially troubled by what had happened in Romania with Ceausescu. And when he learned that it was really a Lutheran pastor and others involved in the church that really brought about that change in that country, he was afraid. 
He was afraid of the church and what the church might do even in his own country, and he began to crack down on that even more. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there in that country who meet today to worship and pray and pray for the same kind of freedom that we enjoy. The only reason that they suffer or are persecuted is because they belong to Christ and they don't belong to the world. And the world doesn't understand those who have chosen to live differently. Jesus said don't be surprised by that when that happens and we see that in our world. He said a second reason why uh, the world is hostile toward Christians is because of ignorance. It's because they don't know the Father. And he talks about that in verse 21. He said, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And a little bit later, they're gonna, he says in 16 verse 3, that they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. They are spiritually dead. If they listened to Jesus, they would listen to us. If they had accepted His Word, they would accept our Word. But because they don't, and because they are spiritually blind, they don't understand what God's purposes are, what His will may be for their life or for our country. And so they reject us. And that is the third thing that the world does in terms of its relationship with believers. We experience rejection. They reject Jesus' claims and they reject His standards. And we see that in verses 22 and following. Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. You see, Jesus reveals our sin, and He condemns it. He strips away all of the excuses and we are guilty before a holy God. And that makes people mad. They don't like that. They don't like to see the sin. We don't like to see the sin in us. And sometimes people simply try to push that aside or reject it or redefine it or change who Jesus is and make God in their own image rather than the God who is revealed to us in the Scriptures. Some of you have probably heard recently about a new kind of teaching that uh, Oprah is going to be bringing. I'm concerned about that. She's promoting a book written by Eckhart Tolle uh, called, um, excuse me, he's got two books that are out there, A New Earth and another book, and I've forgotten the title of it right now. But um, those particular books teach a spirituality and they use Christian terminology at times and bring in those kind of references from the Bible and yet it is just this kind of general spirituality that says that there is a God within you and all you have to do is look within to find that and you have the power to change yourself that's not what the scripture teaches and it troubles me that there are so many who promote this kind of general super spirituality that has nothing to do with the God of the Bible or Jesus Christ. As we go into the world, we're going to encounter many different philosophies and beliefs and teachings, even opposition, even persecution. 
So what does God want us to do in response to that? Does He want us to retreat and hide? Or does He want us to kind of circle the wagons and live in isolation? No, I don't think so. There have been times when the church has had to go underground. And there are times when believers have had to meet in secret. But God wants us to be that kind of savoring influence that will bring change to our world. For example, He wants us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission that Jesus gave to the disciples. That we are to go to reach every people group, every ethnic group that is present in our world. He also wants us to be in the world and yet not of it. In John 17, verse 15, in His prayer for us, He says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. I mean, if God had wanted to, the moment we came a believer, He could have taken us out of the world, but He has chosen to leave us here for a reason, to be His witnesses here. And thirdly, He wants us to be salt and light. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5.16, He said, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Live in such a way that others can see Jesus Christ in you. Be involved in doing good in our world so that others might praise our Father in heaven. And there are many different ways that we can let our light shine just simply by being present in our world. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you that I was at a conference with the Evangelical Free Church for pastors who are in churches between 500 and 1,000 in attendance. It's called Team 500. And at that conference, they also bring in pastors who are in churches larger than ours, and there were three pastors there in churches that are over 1,000. And we listened to their story and how God had worked in their churches and how they had grown over time. And each one told about the particular distinctives that characterized their church. And one of those churches in Austin, Texas, uh, is a disciple-making church. It has a philosophy of ministry very similar to ours, where they have a pathway that they want to help the seeker become a believer in Jesus Christ. They want to help that new believer be established in their faith and then discover their gifts and be involved in ministry. And their pathway is very similar to what we use here in trying to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. That was their distinctive. They are disciple-making church. Uh, there was another church there whose distinctive was community. This was the church in Charlotte. And they looked at their community in a major city and all the churches around, and they're a church of a couple thousand people, and yet he said, there's at least a dozen churches within ten miles that are larger than we are. So what is it that's our distinctive? And they chose the value of community. Being a community of believers that love one another, that care for one another, a safe place where people can come to find grace and healing and forgiveness. And that was their distinctive. A third church that was there uh, was from Boulder, Colorado. And that particular church, uh, they were in a city of 100,000 or more, and they were a church of about 1,100, 1,200 they were like, you know, who knows us? And what difference are we making in our community for Jesus Christ? And so they chose to be an externally focused church. And over a, series, a number of years, they did a series of things to reach out in the community in a very intentional way. And they cleaned 
parks and they worked in schools and they asked the city government if there are things that they could do that could be a help in our community and they went out and did that as a mission to be a witness for Jesus Christ, praying that God would open doors for the gospel as a result. That's their distinctive. That's how they came to be known in that community as a church that is making a difference there. What was interesting to me, though, as I listened to them, is that, you know, you do some elements of all of that in your church, but you can't do everything well. And so every church kind of has a personality. Part of that's a reflection of the pastors. Part of it's a reflection of the people who come. And part of that's a reflection of just the community in which you live and how God has made you as a church. And as I was thinking about our church, you know, we are a disciple-making church, And we're also a family-friendly church. And we put a lot of investment into our children's ministry and youth ministry. And that's why we have programs like Awana or that's why we build a youth center. Because we want this to be a place where kids can come and grow in their relationship with Christ and come to know Him. But we're also family-centered and that's why we offer like this marriage dynamics class to help establish solid marriages and to help you grow in your relationship as a husband and wife. It's why we place the emphasis that we do even upon continuing to grow as adults and to be learning even as our children are learning and working at that because we are a family-friendly church. And we may not be able to do everything well, And we can't do everything that, say, every other church around here may be doing, but we have a distinctive in our ministry and something we believe God has called us to do. And we want to do that well for His honor and glory. That's our mission. That's our assignment from the Lord, if you will. That our church is to be that kind of savoring influence for Jesus Christ. But you also are a savoring influence the moment you leave this church. And you go outside the doors and you're involved in your neighborhood or in your place of business or work, wherever that may be. And I'm glad that God has scattered us around this community. That we have teachers and we have those who are involved in the school, on the school board or administrative levels. That we have people in our church who are involved in business or the chamber of commerce or involved in our community that's working right here. We have people that are doctors and nurses and administrators in our hospitals or nursing homes. And we have those that are farmers, not as many as there used to be in this area, but we have people that are engaged in all kinds of professions here. And God wants to use you just simply by your presence in those areas to be that savoring influence for Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, we are also to have a ministry of proclamation. There's a time to be present, but there is also a time to speak and to talk about Jesus Christ and to bring His Word into our lives in a way that applies it to our work and to our relationships with one another. In John 15, verse 26, for example, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, would testify about Me. He would be a witness in this world. That's His role. It's to point others to Jesus Christ. In chapter 16, uh, verses 8 and following, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. 
But the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world in these three areas and call attention to it, that there is a standard of righteousness that God has given to us, like His Ten Commandments. And that when we break God's law, we are guilty of sin. And that sin leads to judgment. There is a true guilt when we have violated God's holy word. And we feel that in our heart. And even though people may try to deny that or suppress that, that remains. There's this feeling of guilt because there is a true God. And there is a way that we should live in order to please Him. And so here is this work of the Holy Spirit who does His convicting work in the lives of unbelievers, but also in the lives of believers. And then secondly, the Holy Spirit is also a witness to the Christian to guide us into the truth of God's Word. And we see that in chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. And He will bring glory to Me by taking from what is Mine and making it known to you. So he's telling the disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to bring to remembrance those things that I have taught you. He's going to help you to understand my word. He's going to open your eyes to see that. And he's going to help you to grow in your relationship with me. Trust him. Listen to him. Follow him. And then Jesus tells us, not only is the Holy Spirit a witness, but he wants you and me to be His witnesses too in this world. And we see that in verse 27, chapter 15, verse 27. Jesus said that you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He was speaking to the disciples there who had witnessed His entire ministry. You need to tell others what you have seen and heard. And they did. They took that gospel to the ends of the earth. And He would say to us that you need to tell what God has done in your life and what you know about Jesus Christ to be a witness for Him in this world. In Acts 1.8, the Scripture says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are to take this Gospel. Now I want you to think about how these two come together. You see, without the Holy Spirit, our witness has no power. And without us as Christians or Christ followers, His witness is limited. Without His work in our life, if we try to witness in our own strength, we have no power. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us and who changes hearts and opens people's eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. But if we don't go, and if we don't speak, the Holy Spirit is limited because God has chosen to work through His children, believers like you and me. He wants you to be that witness for Christ. In Romans 10.14, the Scripture says, How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they ever know Jesus Christ if someone doesn't go to take the gospel as a missionary, as a representative and ambassador of Jesus Christ? And I'm not just talking about vocationally. I'm talking about in our everyday lives. 
It takes a voice in every area of life. You can think about that. I mean, in our generation, a man like Billy Graham has been a voice for God for over 60 years sharing the gospel. But you don't have to be an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher to do that. In a previous generation, William Wilberforce was a voice in Parliament to bring an end to slavery. We need people, men and women in government, who will be that same kind of voice today. I look at a man like Francis Collins. He's a doctor and geneticist. And Some of you have read some of the things that he has shared. He is the head of the Human Genome Project right now that's trying to map our human DNA and make that available to science and technology to develop new um, medicines and drugs that will treat specific things as we encounter illness and disease. When I read about Francis Collins, it was interesting that he said he was an atheist in graduate school, studying to be a doctor, and he is an atheist, not believing in God at all. But it was his work with dying patients that God used to get his attention. And in particular, it was the faith of some of his patients who were dying that caused him to re-examine his own beliefs about God. He began to read the Scripture, and he read books like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And God used that to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that God has placed him where he is in terms of this project that he is working on. And he made a statement that he considers scientific discoveries, quote, as an opportunity to worship. I like that. Every day that you discover something new about God and about how He's made this world should be an opportunity to worship. And just stand back in awe and wonder at how God has made the world. We need people who will be a voice for God in ministry and missions, but we also need Christians to be involved in government and science and research and health care and business and industry and law and law enforcement as teachers and educators in art and media. Where has God called you to be a voice for Him? And then thirdly, we are to have a ministry of prayer. A ministry of presence, a ministry of proclamation, and a ministry of prayer. Look at verses 23 to 28 in chapter 16. Jesus said, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Jesus told his disciples that he would be leaving them. They would grieve his parting, but their grief would turn to joy when they would see not only his crucifixion, but his resurrection. And he said it would be to your advantage that I go. 
If I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, the Father will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you in this world. And through that Holy Spirit, He would be able to minister to us far more effectively than if Jesus was simply here and limited to His own earthly body. And then He gives these final instructions where He tells the disciples, I want you to pray. All the way through this upper room discourse, Jesus has been encouraging the disciples to pray. In John 14, verses 12 to 14, He said, I will do whatever you ask in My name. You are going to do greater works even than I did. All you need to do is ask in My name. In John 15, 7 and 8, He said, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. In John 15, 16, He says, This is why I have chosen you. I have appointed you to bear much fruit. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in My name. In John 16, 23 and 24, He said it again, I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in My name. And why will He do that? In John 16, 26 and 27, He says it's because the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me. Could Jesus have said it any stronger? He encouraged us to pray over and over and over again. If we pray according to His will, if we pray for His honor and glory, if we pray for the advancement of the kingdom, if we pray for the resources that are needed for ministry, Jesus says, I will do what you ask in My name. I will give you what you need. Wow. That's just an awesome, awesome thing to think about. Prayer can literally change our world. Two years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Peru with Americo Saavedra and do pastoral training. At the end of this month, just after uh, Easter, I'm going to be going again for two weeks to Peru. And uh, a couple men from our church are planning to go with on that particular trip as I'll have the opportunity to do some pastoral training again. But one of the things I remembered from the last time I was there was when Americo took me to Lima, the capital city in Peru. And he brought me down to the central plaza and he told the story of what had happened in that country. And here are these beautiful buildings and their government buildings and cathedrals and hotels and office buildings and all of those things around this central plaza in the downtown area. Americo, who is from Peru, said, you know, there was a day when there were tanks all around this plaza. And the government was fearful of what was going to happen because of a terrorist group there called the Shining Path that was really um, troubling their country. 70,000 people were killed by the Shining Path guerrillas in that country in the 1980s to 1992. And the people were fearful. The government was intimidated in a sense and even troubled by how do we bring about this change and how do we deal with this problem in our country. And I asked Americo, what was it that brought the change? I looked around on that plaza that day and there were people walking freely in and out of stores or children playing or people gathering around a central fountain in that area. And I said, what brought the change? And he said, if you asked the Christians they would tell you that it was seven years of prayer. Seven years of prayer. Praying that God would heal their land and bring change to their country. 
prayer can do that if we will come humbly before Him. If we try to change the world on our own, we will fail. If we try to do ministry in our own strength, we will fail. If we try to live the Christian life in our own strength, we will fail. We need the Holy Spirit's power and we must pray. And that's what the disciples did. And God turned their world upside down for Christ. I mean, after they saw Jesus and His ascension, He instructed them to go to Jerusalem and to wait. To wait until the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And they gathered and they prayed, not just for one day or two days or three days, but five days and six days and seven days and finally ten days. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in power. And when Peter preached that day on Pentecost, there was such a conviction of the Holy Spirit that 3,000 believed that day and were converted to Jesus Christ. Max Licato wrote about that event that God opened the floodgates on the greatest movement in history. And it was all because they were willing to wait and pray. Why are we so reluctant to do what they did? We groan at the thought of inactivity. I mean, we should be doing something. Who has time to wait and pray? I'm guilty of that too. Who has time to come and quiet our heart and say, God, would you do what we can't do? A.J. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. God is asking us to pray in His name and for His glory. And when I think about our church, that's one of the reasons why we want to do these monthly corporate prayer meetings right now. This is an important time for our church. We have search committees looking for a youth pastor and a children's ministry director. We have needs in our church right now. Not just individual needs, but corporate needs as we think about our church and we think about our ministry to children and youth and adults and we think about our budget and our financial needs and concerns about our community and concerns for our country and concerns related to our missionaries and those who have gone out from us. So on March 9th, April 13th, and May 4th, I'm inviting you to come and pray. We put it in the reception room. I sure hope we don't fit. And that we have to come in here and meet and pray and come before God asking Him to pour out His Spirit upon us and to guide us and to show us His will and to bring change to our community and our world. God wants wants us to be involved in our world as change agents. And we do that by our presence, by our proclamation, and by our prayers. Let's pray. Father, the instructions that Jesus gave to His disciples that day are still our marching orders today too. That You want us to be involved in all of those areas as Christians. And I pray that this week we'd think about that, we'd be mindful of how You can use our presence in our place of work or our schools, how You can use our words to be a witness for Christ and please guide us in what we should say and what we should not say. And Lord, then also teach us, motivate us, help us to pray as we should and to wait upon you so that you would move in power. 
in our life and in our church and in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name.